This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, part two of Fraudster Files. This is what happens when you try and change things. First, they think you're crazy. Then they fight you. And then you change the world. That's what Elizabeth Holmes said in response to a Wall Street Journal article that essentially exposed her groundbreaking blood test technology as unproven. She went after the journal and played the victim rather than simply prove her machine worked. The machine in question was manufactured by her now defunct company, Theranos. It looked like a printer and supposedly could test a single drop of blood for a large panel of diseases and medical data. It would change not only the ease of health information, but it would change preventative medicine in an earth-shattering way. There was one problem. It was complete bullshit. In her years as the founder and CEO of Theranos, Holmes tricked and charmed some of the most powerful old white men in the country into not only investing in her company, but into publicly endorsing her. She created an espionage conspiracy that competitors would keep them down to erect a wall of silence inside her company. She shirked public investment to avoid showing financial data. And somehow she took investors for billions of dollars without proving her thing worked at all. That's billions with a B. In the Theranos postmortem, we notice she was a brilliant storyteller. We notice the toxicity of feminism worship, and we notice the utter lack of expertise. This is Game Theory Froster Files, Elizabeth Holmes. And welcome to episode 37 of Game Theory, your podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. I am Nick Andrews. I'm joined by my brother, Chris, because what we need are two white dudes in their 30s making a podcast. And we're, we're here for episode 37, Chris. It's Fraudster Files Part 2, and we have a big one today. A very, very famous, scary person named Elizabeth Holmes. Nick, I don't know about you, but I feel a unique sense of responsibility to give the people what they're clamoring for. And what they're clamoring for is more content about Elizabeth Holmes from two 30-something white-presenting dudes. Right. Who nobody, nobody asked for this podcast. Nobody right. wanted it. No one said, hey, you know what? You should do a podcast. No, that yeah. was all us. And now Player 3 is <laughs> when, when I announced it to people, I was like, you can pre-subscribe or whatever on our, little, our Facebooks and our private Facebooks. And I said, obviously, Chris and I are going to do a podcast. So I was making fun of, of us before other people were making fun of themselves. We do have some updates on the show. Um, the first thing is that we're going to try a newsletter. The goal for the newsletter is to be out August, September, as soon as you can subscribe to the newsletter ahead of time before the first edition comes out. I will let you know. You can do all of that. And what the newsletter is going to be is it's going to be one piece of original content, a blog, our thoughts. And then it's just going to be things that we find interesting, links to stuff that we talk about in the episodes, um, just random articles about sports and video games and card games and economics and behavioral studies. And there's going to be some academia. So we'll let you know about that. The second thing, Chris, is that we are going to do our state of sports episode. That's coming up. We may or may not have some guests for that. And then the third thing that I wanted to talk about is we are very close to our goal of having 100 total subscribers across various platforms, at which point we're going to have to start doing this weekly um, as we promised, which is, I feel like we're getting there. We're getting in shape. 
Yeah, well, it's been a long process. It's been a journey. <laughs> it has. Uh, has nothing to do with with physical health. Well, actually, it has a lot to do with physical health. Yeah. It has an embarrassing amount to do with physical health. So, <laughs> so if Player Three, you could help us out. Subscribe. Force your friends to subscribe. That will actually make us, you know, engage in physical activity, which I haven't done Nick, since like 2019. Yeah, that. Uh, how do I say this? I've noticed. Um. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> no, I uh, I got married, of course, about a year, over a year ago, and look at the pictures of us. I'm like, mm, we're already has been. So that wasn't that long ago. Have I already have I already made the COVID twenty five joke? The COVID twenty five. <laughs> no, yeah. COVID COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen. Uh, while we're on the podcast, be, before we get to Elizabeth, I wanted to pitch you something and see what you thought. I thought about. I like awards and award shows and debates and things. I thought that maybe we should do a game theory awards where we award things like player of the year, game of the year, problem of the year. And it could be like sports and games, or it could be like the uh, geopolitics or math or whatever, TikTok, whatever we want to do. I thought I was thinking about doing that. Maybe we'll do a, a special episode on something like that. Like Magnus Carlson for deciding not to play. Maybe he'll get an award. That's a brilliant idea. Player three, obviously, you're yes. the leading candidate for all the important awards. Yeah. I think it'll be probably bigger than the Nobel Prize ceremony by the time 100%. everything is said and done. When when the chips are down, when history is written, people will know that the Game Theory Podcast Awards are really the the end. The buck stops with the with that set of awards. It will certainly be more ethical. You can't buy your Game Theory Award, which we will come up. with. We just call it the right. board the boardies, <laughs> the boards, the, bo- the boardies. <laughs> yeah, that way we can describe the state of our listeners. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's get into Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, this is what I want to start off by saying. As someone who studied journalism, which I love sentences that start with the as clause, only good can come of those sentences. So as Truly. someone who studied studied journalism, some of the best journalism and storytelling, both like in-depth reporting, investigative reporting, profiling, multimedia, podcast videos, uh, live action recreation, some of the best storytelling of our lifetime is around Elizabeth Holmes. And the reason is because this story is fucking crazy. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely why. And, you know, it's kind of, I, I don't know if looking at the life of this person, you could say, oh, yeah, anybody could see that coming. Right. You know, like the basic biographical information. Elizabeth Holmes, 38 years old, born February 3rd, 1984 in the Washington, D.C. area. I mean, right there, that's already suspicious <laughs> to me. Yeah. But by all intent, or by all accounts, the life of Elizabeth Holmes isn't one that like suggests like, oh, yeah. All right, by age 15, we can clearly tell this is somebody who's going to like take a bunch of really rich, powerful, famous people for all their money right. and just absolutely lie out of her rear end to do it. It's surprising to me, but the, just the, the depth of detail that's discovered in the journalism accounts and all the documentaries and in the uh, the Hulu show that we've talked about on, on the podcast before, the amount of information that comes out, it's it, it really is shocking just how thoroughly, I don't know, driven, evil... Yeah, manipulative, Clever, whatever it is, yeah. ju- just how so much Elizabeth Holmes is. Yeah, it, there's a lot going on. So the, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to run down the story, and I'm going to be very clear. There are some much better people that did this. Like I said, documentaries, podcasts, it's all in the show notes. And if you're listening to this with interest about Elizabeth Holmes for our take, then you already know the entire story and just the egregiousness. But we're going to touch on it real quick. And then we're going to talk about two fissures that I find really interesting, which are 
uh, something called lean in feminism. That was a, 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 a term coined by Sheryl Sandberg, the former CEO of Facebook. We're also going to talk about the game theory aspects of public versus private companies and startups and how like she used that to manipulate these people. And then we're going to do our fraudster index rating. So the fraudster index rating, you can play along with us. We have five categories and it's rated on a one to 10 and the scariest snake oil salesman fraud person is going to, uh, I mean, we're just going to crown a champion. So we have one, it's Billy McFarlane. I suspect that he will be at, when the dust settles on this series, that he will be very low. I don't think that he's as scary as most of these other people. So the categories yeah, are this. Oh, go ahead. Well, hey, Billy McFarland, I, I, you know, since listening to that episode, since listening to us record it, yeah. since learning some new information since then, I just think Billy McFarland was a deeply stupid man. Yeah. And he fell, failed upward, catastrophically failed upward. Right. And got really, really, really lucky. So I, I, I want to go back and revise his lucky rating to a 10 out of 10. 10. He's yeah. just a very dumb man who is surrounded by other dumb men who <laughs> enabled him and gave him a bunch of money and bailed him out. And literally he, bailed him out. Literally bailed him out. One thing that, why I wanted to do this is to compare these kind of people because this kind of fraud, deep lying thing is a kind of, you know, it's a mental health situation. Now, Elizabeth Holmes and Billy McFarland juxtaposed to me are important because, you know, we've added a new category to the Fraudster Index, and that's storytelling. Billy McFarland was a bullshitter. Elizabeth Holmes was a storyteller. And that is how, like, the, very important. So here, if you want to play along about who's the scariest fraudster, here's the index ratings, one out of 10, how successful they were and what they did how evil they were. And we're going to kind of define evil with like, did they know what they were doing was bullshit and could hurt people? And did they care? Category number three is how smart are they? Category four is how lucky are they? Which matters in all of this. You have to get lucky. And how category five lie. is how good they are at lying. Like Billy McFarlane, elite bullshitter, but he was clearly coming up with it at the top of his head. He reminded me of our dear old 45th president. We're like, oh, did you hear that there were 3 million fraudulent votes? Oh, hey, Donald, how much did you lose by Three million. Okay, that tracks. People are saying. Everybody's saying. Right. Everyone knows it. You right. all know it. I know it. That's just it. It's to be true. There's nothing we can do about it. It's true. Okay, so let's start with the story. So it begins at Stanford. Do you want to tell the story of her Stanford stuff? No. Why don't you go ahead? And take it. You want me to do it? Sure. So at Stanford, yes. so what happened was she's connected. She's rich. She's white. She's smart. She's a nerd. She's also very isolated. Like she didn't have a ton of friends. She's a, an autodidact. Like she's just reading books. She's got hero worship stuff. She's worshiping Steve Jobs and Thomas did, Edison. Did did she did she describe herself as an autodidact or is that like you? I'm calling her that because and I will we'll address it's very clear things that she read. We'll talk about that later. So huh. um, okay. So she's at Stanford. She's smart and she starts to pitch ideas to people. She goes to this woman, um, and I forget her name, but she is incredibly Phyllis important. Phyllis Gardner. Yes, Phyllis Gardner, who is like actually who Elizabeth Holmes was trying to become. She's a, a, a physician. She's a businesswoman. She is a She's bad, a professor at Stanford. So this is this yes. is somebody who is like in, in the architecture of a young college student's life. This is a very important like figurehead and somebody that you would go to for advice Correct. on like a huge potentially life-changing project like this. Right. And so, so so what Elizabeth Holmes was doing is she was coming up with these ideas and we all have ideas and she was pitching them uh, to Phyllis Gardner, Dr. Phyllis Gardner. And Dr. Phyllis was like, love your spirit. That's not physically possible. Let's try again. And Elizabeth Holmes was like, um, no, but this can work. And she was like, but it, it can't happen. So the original idea was a patch on your arm that could inject antibiotics after detecting a virus in the patch. And Phyllis was like, well... In order for antibiotics to work, there have to be a ton of it. 
that's why you have like IV bags and why it's an IV. So it can't work, but I love where you're thinking nanotechnology is the future. Let's do it. So she literally fired Elizabeth Holmes as her mentee. It was like, but I'll hook you up with someone else that can. The person that was hooked up with her was the head of the science department, an older white man, and she charms the shit out of him. And this is a pattern that we'll see. Someone called bullshit. She found an older white man who didn't call bullshit. She charmed him and now the wheels are rolling. So the Theranos project, Chris, is going to disrupt blood testing. So she had the original antibiotic thing. She learns that's not going to happen because it's bullshit. She founds Theranos to test blood for diseases, which would be amazing if it were work, if it, if it worked. Yeah, the original purpose of the company, which I, I think changed names in 2003, or the, the original name was, was Real-Time Cures, oh. and it later got changed to Theranos. I don't know if it's snappier or what. That's, that's like a, it's a combination of the words diagnosis and therapy, as in Theranos. Right. I, I don't know. I think it just sounds like a thermos company or something. <laughs> right. it, it sounds like, a, like one of those companies that makes like industrial engineering like machinery and like meters and stuff so you can like Literally. oh yeah i'm gonna take the theranos gauge out there and check the flow rate of the piping system i, I was thinking like those like binoculars that tell you how far away the deer you're trying <laughs> to kill is you know like that yeah, it's, yeah it's like a laser based yes. like distance to anyway the, the the point of her company like the the catchphrase that she employed was she wanted to democratize healthcare. Hmm. so global context at the time it's 2003 we're in a freshly post 9-11 world. We've just had a decade of like relative peace after the end of the Cold War. Early 2000s America, shocking, embarrassing time for those of us that remember it in detail. And democratization, like the, the spread of democracy was kind of like high on the list of terms and ideas that get name checked at the time. Right. You know, America's spreading democracy in Afghanistan and freshly in Iraq. And the idea of democratizing information with the internet and the post.com bubble burst and like normalization of the internet and mainstream stuff, democratizing things was kind of like right now the, the big thing is like AI. Can we put AI and machine learning on everything? Like, Oh yeah, we're going to disrupt equity. with AI equity. AI. Equ yeah. We're going to AI eyes equity. And like and that, that's where you see like crypto and NFTs and blah, blah, blah. Well, at the time, that real-time cures slash Theranos was founded. Elizabeth Holmes wanted to democratize healthcare and basically make it easily accessible with something like this patch. It's healthcare is a, a, a notoriously difficult field to understand as somebody who participates in it as just like a patient, let alone somebody who's trying to invent new technology and, and make things easier for physicians and make the patient care experience easier and simpler, more accessible and cheaper and all this kind of stuff. Great idea in theory, but as you said, it just wasn't doable. Right. So, None, nevertheless, she persisted. Right. So the idea was this. They, they could take a, a finger prick of blood, say the amount of blood that you would need to test your blood glucose for, for a diabetic, right? But she wanted to create an, a way to test that uh, small amount of blood, which is, I forget what it's called, like capillary blood or like, it's not like real vein blood. It's like under the skin blood. She wanted to test that and be able to test it the way that you would when you go get phlebotomized right like like when you go to get your blood work done and like brilliant that would be enormously game-changing because essentially there's a monopoly there are two companies that are so in bed with each other they're basically inbred it's lab and quest they do all of it they are not transparent on price that's one of they are two of the uglier aspects of the american healthcare system so this woman wants to disrupt that brilliant yes please let's do that if the science was possible and you could get it from the capillary blood and you could do it she invented this machine that looked like a printer and you put the little blood and it just and it gives you a hundred and some readouts on things like cancer or diabetes or whatever you want. 
if this was possible, it would have been one of the greatest inventions in human history. It really would have, because you would have had super simple, cheap, accessible healthcare data. Where this gets weird, right? So everybody knows how this ends. That machine doesn't work. She was able to lie and imp- imply that it does work. She got money and endorsements from very, very famous, albeit washed up older white men. And eventually people called bullshit and then it was bullshit. And she's now, I think she's going to prison for fraud. She's been convicted of fraud. So like everybody knows the story. What I want to get into now is how she was able to make it look so legit, which is amazing. So the first thing that she did, Chris, and this is a, a part of the millennial culture that we're having a problem with. Elon Musk is having his, his day in court right now in, in the court of public opinion. And it's kind of a similar thing where the Silicon Valley vibe is have a great idea, find people that want to work on great ideas, and essentially uh, indentured servitude them. Like make people make your vision happen and be like, okay, here's the thing. You could do the thing. And they, they just like trap them with their own goodwill and with money. And Elizabeth Holmes did that. She was like, okay, here's some engineers, make my thing a thing. And they really tried hard, but they couldn't do it because it's not possible. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing how, just how much of what became Theranos, they, the, the reason it was fraud is because like it just it could not be done. Right. There, there's I think there's this tendency to think like when it comes to like disrupting, I think there's a little bit too much like pie in the sky. Think big. Don't let your boundaries be your boundaries. The sky's the limit, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's too much like insistent, positive, like optimism about the outcomes that are possible. And you know, it, it is true at the same time that you don't know what's really possible i mean the the world as we live in it today is probably unimaginable to somebody that lived i don't know 200 years ago but it's also true that sometimes like you do know what the limits are and you are aware of what cannot be done right and like so i just tweeted this out and you can follow me on twitter links in the show notes of course I just think tweeted that, now. Just, uh, just tweeted like live tweeted on the show. No, I can't. We're we're not live. This is gen- happy generic time of the day, Chris. This is podcast. It's whenever you want to listen. It's whenever you want to work Good out morning or, go or your, evening. Your hot girl walk, your commute to work, whatever you want, totally fine. When you're walking your cat, I know you've got a cat now. Totally fine. Whenever you want to listen, that's where. so I, I tweeted at some point in doing research for the show. She would have been a great novelist or film director because she's great like liar and bullshit artist. And she was into like how she uh, presented herself, which we'll get into is for a second. And her ideas were really close to being possible, but she just wouldn't take no for an answer, which we all want that to be the case. Don't you wish that you could just, I don't know, put bleach in your body and kill all of the bad stuff like that theoretically makes sense, but sort of cleaning. Correct. Cleansing. By the way, I think you misspelled playwright. I think it is W-R-I-G-H-T. Yeah, that's what um, Yeah, that's what my autocorrect wanted me to do. And I was like, I don't know. It's, yeah. Your, auto, your autocorrect was correct. <sighs> but you can't trust that shit, you know? Like, you just can't. So I will delete my tweet. Regardless, um, she wanted you, you, this to you be heard true. It, you heard it here, folks. Nick is editing his tweets. Duh. I should, embarrassing. We should all delete our tweets about every six months, by the way. Like, everybody should just Agreed. go back. All of them. Just delete all of them. Irregardless... Elizabeth Holmes wanted these things to be true, and there's no amount of goodwill that can make it true. But in Silicon Valley and on Wall Street, there's this vibe of fake it till you make it. And she was, she was doing that. The difference here, the reason that this was so sinister, is that what's at stake and the risks that her employees were taking are completely different than writing lines of code and creating a website. She had people in the lab dealing with 
fucking blood, like people's blood. So this is what happened. They signed a deal with CVS. They were getting close. They had all of these investors, the very famous people, Henry Kissinger, uh, Bill Clinton kissed her ass publicly. She was invited to the Wall Street Journal stuff. She was invited to Fortune stuff. And we'll talk about that in a second. Journalists are writing these pie in the sky profiles about her where they're like, oh, she's a little vague, but she's really brilliant. All this is happening. CVS is like, we're ready. Let's do it. They do a trial in Arizona. So what they did, because the machine didn't work, they got the blood and then they ran it back to the lab in California and just ran a real test on it and then sent it back. And they had people, humans, in a non-sterile environment dealing with other humans' fucking blood. That can kill you. That's HIV. That's HPV. That's, that's, that's uh, uh, hepatitis C. Like, that can fucking kill you. And that's what she had people doing. Yeah, she, she literally just lied to people about the existence of this machine, had people running and doing the work of the machine, like as at like standard business practice right. in bioanalysis and diagnostics and all that other stuff. She just had people doing that work behind the scenes and it took people on a tour of the building and like as they came back and got the results, like, oh yeah, see, look, the box worked. All it needed was time. And it was it was just a lie. And you know, in in twenty sixteen, Forbes listed Elizabeth Holmes as one of their like on their list of billionaires. They listed her net worth at three point six billion dollars right. as the founder and CEO of this company. And it's shocking how many people she was just able to pull the wool over the uh, wool over their eyes. I don't know mm-hmm. how. Yeah, you walked that, yourself right? into a shitty situation there. I really, I really did. I made a mistake. <laughs> How many people she was able to trick on the basis of nothing, right? And I and I think part of that is enabled by like the general lack of scientific literacy and lack of knowledge of like what would be feasible versus what's not feasible. I mean, I think that's that's hard enough for like scientists and professional researchers to to try. Like, how do you push the bounds of, of your field of expertise? How do you know what should and shouldn't be explored? Like what actually would be would be a disruptor, and that's like orders of magnitude more understanding than like the general public has. Right, right. People who are not specialists in biology, people who don't understand medicine, people who probably have been frustrated by the medical process of just like trying to go get routine problems taken care of or routine checkups. It's a complicated system because it's based on complicated science and a complicated art. I think medicine is, is a science and an art in a lot of ways. Yeah. I hope Kim would agree with me on that because if she doesn't, then it's going to be really embarrassing <laughs> that I said that. You're close. Actually, we don't. And, and this is my opinion because I worked in you know medical literature for a while. And Medicine is not a science at all. It is simply art. It is comprised of scientific practices. Anatomy is science. Pharmacology is science. Medicine is art. They're just guessing. They're doing their yeah, best with the Im- immense amount of knowledge that they have. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty interesting take. So, like, you have to have a lot of scientific yeah. and probably like engineering knowledge. Right. But at the end of the day, it's it's an individual approach. It's right. really really difficult to access, even if you've spent years and years studying it Correct. and really understand the system. If you don't, if you're the average person and someone says, "Hey, I can make your life so much better because I've got technology and look at all the money we have behind this," right. this is a train that you're going to want to be on. I mean, of course, it's gonna it's it's something that sounds so good that people want it to be true and people without extensive scientific knowledge like researchers don't have a way of of kind of filtering that out and saying like all right this doesn't pass the sniff test because they don't know what good science and good biology and good medicine really smells like yeah and and that was part of this too so the the most important person that needed to be a part of this was dr phyllis gardner that we said and if she had been a part of it then it seems scientifically legit but what elizabeth holmes was able to do was create an aura around her 
that was so similar to Steve Jobs. She literally wore the black turtlenecks. She took a lot of like cover shoots with that, where she was holding the little capsule of blood and it looked exactly like him holding the iPod. She did TED Talks and walked like him. Then there's this voice thing, which is fucking creepy. And this is how I can tell she was an autodidact. She was obsessed with Thomas Edison. She quoted him extensively, but she also knew that there has been extensive psychological research, psychological research on the depth of women's voices and how seriously they're taken. And it is a direct correlation. It's like a line graph of the deeper the voice, the more seriously the woman is taken. She was, she was faking it. She was caught faking it publicly once. Everyone who knew her kind of intimately knew it was total bullshit. And she had her voice. And I don't know if, if anybody's heard it. This is what her voice actually sounds like. So let's just play a clip right here. Yeah, so fake <laughs> like that is so fake like she's trying to talk like this like we all try to do that kids do that to try to sound older she's got the turtlenecks she's humble bragging about hanging out with the president of brazil and the person of that company but what she did was really smart she got people that everyone would think is legit but who didn't know fuck all about medicine to be on with her project and the way the silicon valley investing works is you bet big you bet early and if it pays off you are incalculably wealthy. And if it doesn't, whatever. So people like Larry Ellison, who is the founder of Oracle, who does all of the boring work software that we all have to have in Java and all that kind of stuff. She got people like at Google and she got old school Silicon Valley investors, people that invested in things like Skype and Slack and things like that. And then she got defense people. It's like, well, defense is like, that's serious. Medicine's serious. Henry Kissinger and Howard Schultz and like people who ran the country, however... All of these people are old white men who would like want to, I don't want to stereotype, but like flirt with their waitress, which is sort of how this was coming off. And these guys were like in wars like Vietnam. And it was, who is a general Mattis was involved and he endorsed it. General Mattis, like, yes, it, geopolitics want to hear what you say, like whether or not you can test the speck of blood. I don't care what you think, because I know that you don't know that's expertise matters a lot. And she found people who were experts, but just not at her thing. Yeah, it, she really kind of like it's it's like if you took all of the advice that you ever learned from self-help books uh -huh. and actually put it into practice. It, it's very very strange. Like like when anybody that's like tried to learn a new language for a long time, unless you've spent time speaking fluently with somebody who is like a native speaker or if you've been truly immersed in learning the language, learning a new language is a very undignified experience because for a long time it's hard to not sound like a book. Right. It's hard to not sound like a classroom. Elizabeth Holmes' meticulous curating of her own personality and the way that she presented herself with the fake voice and the black turtlenecks and the vibe of somebody who's like a Silicon Valley powerhouse, it looks like somebody made... A, like, if, like if you describe to an alien what a powerful person looks like, that alien would build Elizabeth Holmes. Right. With all of the trimmings and all of the... All of the actions of somebody who is like classically like all the stereotypes come to fruition they're like concentrated in the prism of this one person and it's it's kind of jarring because i think most people are generally pretty authentic most people are generally pretty accurate reflections of who they really are you know you think of your friends you think of your coworkers, whatever everybody wants to kind of look nice but at the end of the day it's really hard to keep up a front for a long time Unless you're truly dedicated, you don't care about what you leave in your wake, and you are single-minded in achieving 
success in whatever your obsession is. Elizabeth Holmes was certainly like that. Right. And I think that's what probably enabled her to keep up with this front, this like obviously fake voice and the, the aesthetic choices. And that's also how she was able to get people to buy in. I think with it, it wasn't the, I don't know if it was like the fake presentation of this like powerful person that got people, or if it was the insistence that some miracle could occur with enough belief and enough like collective effort and enough money. I don't know what combination of those things contributed to it, but for whatever reason, she was able to harness the power of the old white man in America right. and get big like household names to buy into this. And really it's impressive, but you know, it's it's all based on nothing. It's based on zero substance. Right. She pulled the wool over the eyes of like one of the most impressive military individuals to ever live in the United States of America in General Mattis. Like he's right. I mean, he's not Washington, but he's much closer to Washington than many generals before him. Like he is an impressive impressive person and she just bullshitted him and she did it like it was nothing and 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 so this is the feminism part of this which we can get into now um which is a a really big part of it i know that i think i read it somewhere reddit or the internet where like when ghostbusters was remade by judd apatow it was a perfect marketing campaign because either a you watch it and you support women or b you don't watch it and you can't critique it otherwise you hate women this is sort of like that where when she became this heralded investor at the beginning, if you take her on her face value, you're like, this is an incredible moment for women. This is someone who's a self-starter, didn't inherit anything, founded a company, had an idea, did the science part, is doing the business part. This is a brilliant thing. She was lauded for that and deservingly so. Like, If you want to believe that it's true, that's a huge moment. However, at a certain point, she became above critique because she was a woman and there was no, there's nothing that you could say that like, hey, like, why would you try to tear this, this, this female, this woman down like this? And it's the term is called lean in feminism. It's a term that was coined, as I mentioned earlier, by Sheryl Sandberg, the former CEO of Facebook. She wrote a book about being a leader after being at Facebook for a little while. And lean in means just essentially put your head down and become a workaholic. Be a part of the culture. Buy into the culture of your company and you'll be rewarded. It was widely criticized for saying that women need to conform to the workplace environment of whatever company they're at. However, I mean, like maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's not. I think that Sheryl Sandberg is kind of a sociopath, but also I think she was just writing what worked for her. I don't know that she should be taken seriously about social issues. She was just a CEO of a Silicon Valley company. That's what you... You want advice about Silicon Valley? She probably knows a ton. So this lean-in feminism idea was that you just need to accept things. You need to be a part of, of the culture. And this this woman, uh, EJ, yes, EJ Dickinson, nope, EJ Dixon of the Rolling Stone around the time all of this was breaking, um, I want to say 2016, 2017, wrote that this kind of stuff is toxic for feminism because it a, has women conforming to just whatever there is around them and it kills individualism. But B, it puts women on a pedestal where they're above feminism and actual critique, which is what happened. So be- at a certain point, she rose to a level of prominence where like, not only can you not like critique the situation, but you have to believe her and you kind of have to laud her. Otherwise, you're part of the problem. And she wrote, she wrote that hard. And between that and implying that Quest and LabCorp, her competitors, were doing like espionage, she was able to not only pull a wool over the eyes of these brilliant people, and although they're old, 
she was able to create a culture of secrecy where like they weren't showing anybody that it worked. They weren't taking any public investment. They were only taking private money, which means, and apparently nobody looked at a balance sheet. No one looked at like, Hey, are you making money? Nobody looked at any of that. And she was able to just lie and create a culture of like, don't worry about it. While her lab rats are like dealing with people's blood. And she did have some things going for her that added a lot of credibility. And at a certain point, the combination of you can't criticize a woman who is successful, otherwise you're a woman hater. And she actually has like substance, like other substantive people agree with her. So right. you can't criticize, like they can't all be wrong. That combination was just, it, it became too much. So for example, she started the company in 2003 and by the end of 2010, had raised almost $100 million, like more than $90 million in venture capital. 2011, so eight years after the founding, that's when former Secretary of State George Schultz was introduced as a member of the board. He was on the board of directors of this company. Right. And I don't know if he knows anything about how blood testing works. It, it, she operated the company kind of like in the dark, getting venture capital, getting people to buy in for, for like 10 years. And then... By like 2014, she was recognized as the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. She mm. was number 110 on the Forbes 400 in 2014. So a decade later, she's got just an immense amount of credibility. Theranos was valued at $9 billion at the yeah. time that Forbes recognized her as, a, as the, the world's youngest self-made female She owned half of it, yep. And, 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 it's, and it's not just the money, too. There are scientific patents behind this. And I want to take just a second. I have a little bit of experience with with patent patenting, I guess. I, I don't have any patents. I've, done, I've reviewed patents. Uh, by the end of 2014, she had her name on 18 U.S. patents and 66 foreign patents. Nick, does the term patent troll mean anything to you? Yeah, of course. Farmer, bro. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think a patent troll is? Uh, you find things that are accepted. Um, well, Michael Jackson was the greatest one ever that you find things that are accepted or out there and you either wait for the patent to expire or you patent things that aren't yours just so that you can own the intellectual property. Yep. And the way that you can monetize that is by finding an easy route to basically take somebody to court and sue over patent infringement or copyright infringement. Right. Uh, the East District of Texas is a notoriously popular court with patent trolls because for whatever reason, the legal structure there makes it very, very easy for people to just take someone to court and sue. And the the legalese that is that comprises patents is just so dense and so difficult to understand for the average person. And it's also so nonsense and so broad that filing patents is impressive, but it's also pretty simple to do from a legal standpoint. Sure. You know, it's one thing to invent something and monetize it and, and change the world. It's another thing to just get a good lawyer so that you can get your name on a bunch of different patents, file them in courts in places where nobody's going to challenge them. And you don't even have to ha like demonstrate real feasibility. I mean, the, some, there are some patents out there that are just utterly nonsense. Like yesterday, I, I looked at a patent for a, a horse stirrup designed specifically for monkeys. <laughs> Great. Like, I mean, the, 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 the range of applicability of that kind of technology, technology in quotes, <laughs> it, I mean, it's just nonsense. Nobody's going to bother to look into that. Nobody's going to take right. it to court over that. So the fact that she had her name on all these patents sounds really impressive to somebody who doesn't understand intellectual property. 
And so that like that kind of thing gives her a ton of credibility. And people say, see, this is somebody who's successful across the board. She clearly understands right. the science. Look at how many patents she's got. There's clearly substance to all of this. It can't, right. it can't be that we're just funneling our money into a nonsense system. She had agreements with the Cleveland Clinic, one of the best hospital systems in America, Blue Cross, AmeriHealth Caritas. Like, she had agreements with Sevia. It Just crazy the amount of credibility that she managed to funnel into this system. And it was all based on style and not substance. Oh, a real quick correction. It was Walgreens, not CVS, but they look the same, so I don't care. Um, oh, sorry. They're all the same. Whatever. No, no, I, I made the mistake. I, don't, I think I started the mistake. Regardless, you're right. The patent stuff was... A, well, then we'll get into this when we get to the index because she knew what people would ask before they asked it. She was clearly playing chess. She saw moves and moves and moves and moves ahead. It was brilliant. However, and her idol, Thomas Edison, he was a fraud. Did you know that? Well... I, I feel like I hear that a lot from like Tesla bros. So and, this is, and I don't, I, I guess I mean like, a, you mean Nikola the, Tesla bros, not Elon Musk, Tesla bros. Well, the Venn diagram of those two is pretty close to a circle. Sure. That makes but, sense. So what happened with Edison was he said he could do it. He couldn't. And then in a hail Mary attempt, he figured it out before they called him on his bluff and like he would have gone to prison. Cause he took, he did what she, he did what she did. He took money. He said, I can do this. It never fucking worked. And then he did it. It happened. It, you know, moment of brilliance at the end, which is what they're like, they're saying like, we can do it, but they can't, but then maybe they'll figure it out by the end. And she was just never able to figure it out. So she bet on herself by doing that. And this kind of worship, she knew the playbook of how to do this. She knew. Well, and in, in that vein, if you remember the great film, the, the cinematic masterpiece, National Treasure. Yeah, I do. Oh, literally, National Treasure comes up when I think about this episode constantly. You'll be, you'll call to mind then Nicolas Cage going, when Thomas Edison finally made the light bulb, <laughs> he failed over 200 times. He didn't say, I failed 200 times. He said, I found 200 ways how not to make a light bulb. Mm. Like, okay, that's a bullshit quote, knowing the context of how Edison actually was. Right. This like patent trolley stuff. Similarly, Following a kind of a revelatory article by the Wall Street Journal in 2015. Yes. Elizabeth Holmes had another bullshit quote that understanding now that she's like a convicted felon. Correct. And has been, you know, has been taken through the justice system. And we'll go to prison she, probably. She responded to the article. She called the journal, a, the Wall Street Journal, a tabloid. Yeah, love which, it. Laughable. And she said, quote, this is what happens. Sorry. This is what happens when you work <laughs> to change things. First, they think you're crazy. Then they fight you, and then all of a sudden, you change the world. Mm. Um, literally none of that happened no. to Elizabeth Holmes. No, not a single bit of that happened. In fact, it was really the opposite. It, was, it went in reverse order. She changed the world by, by really embodying lean-in feminism and getting all these powerful people and huge companies and patent lawyers or whatever to believe in her and buy in. She... Uh, you know, basically won the fight against all doubters. And then people started to realize, oh, shoot, she might be crazy because there's nothing going on here. And uh, didn't really change anything at all. Nothing no, at no, all. The status quo did not change. It's you know, really, really the the people who benefit most from this are like content creators. Yes. And reporters. Because as you 100%. said, this is... Some, some of the best journalism in recent memory is like the investigations into into this report. And it's really like who can get bigger slices of the pie dipshits like us have an excuse to talk about it and yeah. fill airspace. So really we, we owe it to her 
to think that she was actually somehow in the right about all of this when it was, in fact, bullshit. Bullshit. So the, the, the journalist who wrote that, I believe, is John Carreyu. He also wrote the best-selling book, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in Silicon Valley Startup. It, um, that blew the lid off of everything. And he was the guy for the journal that really was the, the watchdog on this, and he reported on it over and over. And I was a, a big reader of the journal at the time. And so I was following this in real time, and it was like Theranos. There's another bad Theranos in the journal all the time. The way... It's, that she was able to intimidate journalists and other people who were sourcing things to journalists and find them and sue her own employees for uh, NDA violations and things. She got the best lawyer in the country. Apparently some crazy guy paid him with like stock in the company. Uh, like one of the, and I forget his name, but he's absolutely it's like crazy intimidating. But then the weirdest thing happened because her shit backfired in a big way, which was that Schultz, George Schultz, his grandson begged to intern with her. Then he was like, this is bullshit. And he started leaking stuff. And then all of a sudden, this person who was like the secretary of three different things for presidents, three things he was a secretary of. Now that guy is an enemy. So like the stuff that you're running through your lawyer to intimidate witnesses are like, actually, that guy has sat across the table from like institutional terrorists. He's not scared of Blondie at Silicon Valley at all. So then they're leaking stuff. They go to court. The journal gets all this information and it just fucking crumbles. So I have a personal story from this. My wife, who was in medical training, um, I think the latter end of her, her med school and the beginning of her, her uh, surgical residency was at this time. She's got a mentor who created and pitched Theranos on a clinical study for how this could be worked for trauma surgery and how you could test, with, get it done right away during surgery. And they gave him the runaround for more than a year. And he was like, oh, they're lying. And he got that before any of this other journal stuff. It's like, I have developed a test for this, for any sort of fraud. It's very simple. And I've noticed this. This is the the official game theory fraud test, patent pending. So don't sue us, East District of Texas. Right. Please, District of Texas, this is me. My test is, why aren't the rich people doing it? It's very simple. CBD and, and cannabis is my best example. Now, there are a lot of CBD and cannabis stands that has medicinal properties. Let me tell you, if it did, the people who got the country addicted to heroin would be doing it. But it doesn't, so they're not. So very simply, LabCorp and Quest, which are billion-dollar companies, have people just slaving away at the, like the ways to make this cheaper and more profitable all the time. They haven't figured this out. And the doctors that work for them think that it's not possible. It's not possible. That's it's literally that simple. Test. Well, in and in, in the case of Theranos, though, <laughs> that that test fails. I mean, like like they, 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 all these guys, like it, it's one thing to get like the individuals, like like James Mattis testified in uh, in Elizabeth Holmes' trial, uh, and he said he didn't know what to believe. Right. He said he wasn't sure, like in board meetings. He wasn't clear on what was true and what wasn't. Uh, he was on the board for years. You're right. He he supported the 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 whole mission of uh, of Theranos, this company, and uh, after the Wall Street Journal kind of exposed that, that's when he found out, and he's like, "Oh well, shoot, uh, we were." He said we were unable to help her on fundamental issues that she was grappling with if we only saw them in the rearview mirror. It's like, okay, right? These rich, powerful household name white men are unable to identify what the problem is and 
the fact, but, it, but it's, it's not just them. In this case, she had deals with all kinds of like national chains for pharmacies and like grocery stores and convenience yep. stores. It, she had all the credibility. So the game theory test, Nick, I'm not sure passes no, no, no. muster. Yeah, it does because LabCorp and Quest hadn't figured this out. And that's the test. So if, if Purdue that's Pharmaceuticals, who's giving us opioids in our water, can't find a way to get an FDA approval for weed, then weed Is does not true? have medicinal properties. No, they didn't put it in the water. No, oh, okay. but they, you can see, but it's super believable, and that's just like my fucking point. Well, because like it's like it's like the fluorine thing. Like adding fluorine to water is like it's like unquestionably like a public good, and mm-hmm. people think like the this one ion is going to allow for like mind control and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which is which is preposterous. So it Utterly, is believable, that, guys. It's a conspiracy. If you believe that, stop. Stop it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, like it saves all of us money. Dentists are like. Oral hygiene is a societal thing. Anyway, um, the, the, the test is meant to think about it like this. If somebody who's been doing this for years and years and years, how special does the person have to be to actually best them at the scientific or the developmental part of this? Like Mark Zuckerberg, for how much of a psycho he is, is a genius. He did the coding. He invented the website. It existed. We could all test it. He is at the level of the guys and he had been doing it. His resume was like started building shit since he was a preteen. He knows the internet. He knows how the science works. He is a scientific genius. He is. Elizabeth Holmes didn't do shit. Nothing. There's nothing palpable. If there's something palpable out there and there are people that employ the geniuses, they would try to buy her. Quest and LabCorp never tried to buy her because they didn't believe it. And here I have a doctor in New Jersey who's like, we wanted to do clinical trials. They wouldn't do it. This is obvious. The government will pay for it. You'll prove it. If you get it in print in the New England Journal of Medicine, this works clinically, that's game over. You're a billionaire in cash that day. Immediately game-changing. None of that happened. Quest and LabCorp, they do tests constantly. Anytime there's something, anytime there's a new drug, please test this. For the love of God, get it in writing that doctors want to use this. That's how Purdue did it. With the, with the opioids, that's how all this goes down. And if the, if the people that have been in the industry that live in the tall buildings and have yachts don't think it can happen, it can't happen. Otherwise, they'd be doing it. That's interesting. Cause it, it, it flies in the face of everything that people who are like in the middle of disruptor culture believe. Right. Like, like I, I, I hear all the time people like, oh, the most dangerous phrase in the English language is that's the way we've always done it. And like, I, I mean, I guess in some ways that's true, but it, it's only true for like bad habits. It's yes. only true for lazy thinking. It's only true for ways of doing business that don't accommodate like genuine good technological advancements. Like that that's like, oh, well, we've always handheld handwritten memos and passed them around to people in the office to disseminate <laughs> exactly. information. Like, like dog, you can't you can't do that anymore. It's not like, oh, well, we need to change things just because we think we can. Right. It, it's and it, so like the, the the fact that this this mindset existed and exists in the space that Elizabeth Holmes was trying to occupy. It's like, wow, see, the old guard isn't doing it. That must be evidence that it really is working. Yeah, and the, the other part of it is that the, the private money thing, I can't emphasize that enough. The, the capitalist system in America has a lot of uh, positives and negatives, regulation, deregulation. One of the positives of the investment system and, and being a publicly traded company is that you are forced by law to disclose a bunch of shit, like how much money you're making, how much money you're losing, how many employees you have. And that way people who read or speak English have to, by law, be able to understand what's going on at your company. Otherwise, you've committed fraud. 
with privately held companies and private equity, she doesn't have to tell anybody anything. And none of these older white men who are essentially in their sun, their, their sunlight year or their, their um, whatever. Sun, sunlight, I think it's sunset. Sunset. No, I'm talking about twilight. They're twilight. in their twilight years of life. They've accomplished everything. This will be a blip on the radar for their career. They don't care. Like They're like, oh, well, this would be good. It'll be good for my legacy. Maybe my grandson could work there. They don't care at all to look at the Excel spreadsheet. And Larry Ellison, who's worth $50 billion, is like, yeah, I'll just make some more money. Who gives a shit? Like, I, he doesn't even, they're not even paying attention. That's the part of this. This is the game theory economic aspect is that she was able to hoodwink people because she wanted to stay private and she hid it behind you know, being targeted by Quest and LabCorp, which theoretically, like I said, they would target her, but they wouldn't target her. They'd try to buy it or they would just try to steal it. And they totally would because if it were something a 19-year-old non-genius, non-scientific genius, could, she was a genius, non-scientific genius could invent, then they would figure it out. I mean, how many, how many inventions are truly revolutionary at, at all? Like how many things are truly disruptive and is a new bit of technology? Like there's a medical one that's happening right now. No one wants to talk about called immunotherapy. People have no idea what's happening in medicine. It's fucking crazy. That is a true invention. Air conditioning. Air conditioning is a good one. <laughs> the, the, the database. Yep, there you go. AI. The database. Yeah, right, AI. Microsoft Excel. Yeah, Excel. A, yeah. AI and machine learning. Guys, uh, look, there's no AI. There, there's, there's no AI. There are good algorithms. Algorithms. There's good, there's good computer programs that can like detect information and like change outputs based on the inputs. That's just a program. That's just a function. Right. Like, anybody says anything about AI to me, like, bullshit. Unless you're talking about Isaac Asimov's iRobot. Right. Unless you're talking about, like, Cortana, the character from the Halo franchise. Yes. It's bullshit. It's, ju it's just using computers to do basic stats. Like, there, there's, no, there's no AI. Play it's just three, a bunch of math. I'm here to tell you right now. I mean, I'm ready to have my mind changed if that technology ever comes along. But anybody that's like, oh, I'm integrating AI into this. Like, no, you're not. You're just putting a computer program in it. Like, I, I saw a tweet recently that said, look at how Costco is using AI to produce its famous pizzas. It was just a fucking robot dispensing marinara onto a crust. Like, that's not AI. There's uh, no AI. It yeah, doesn't, it's, it's, it's not a thing. It's just good programming. Yeah, it's just like uh, predictive behavior, targeted ads, that kind of thing. Right. It's, it's, if it's somebody's trying to get you to buy into AI, they're trying to hoodwink you. They're full right. of shit. And, and I think this is a case where like, people genuinely think like, oh yeah, that's what AI is. Like, no. Now, I, I asked somebody who's a professional in AI, like their job is to consider the implications of policy and technologically. I'm listening. For AI. Yeah. And I asked that person, what, what is it? Like, really, what's the difference between that and just like a good, like a, a computer program, like a chatbot or whatever? And this person said, not kidding, it just depends on the application. It just depends what you're using it for. So in other words, semantic. it's marketing. It's yeah. purely for marketing. Yeah. Guys, there's no AI. Stop it. That's that's amazing. Speaking of pulling the wool over everybody's eyes, let's get out of here. Let's rank her. So we got a bunch of people to do this for. We got Anna Delvey, the socialite in New York, the wine guy, the fake artist. Like they're all of we're gonna get into the relationship people that like stole money based on love and like that kind of rapey thing. All of these fraudsters, we're gonna rank them. She's gonna be incredibly high. I think she's probably one of the best cases of fraud in human history that we know of. So let's start with our first category. Um, okay, Chris, one to 10. How successful was she? 10, she became a billionaire. One, she is in prison. Not yet, but yes. <laughs> well, well, okay, so, so this, is going from, yeah. this is from the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Northern District of California. Elizabeth Holmes and uh, Sonny Balwani charged with two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and nine counts of wire fraud. 
According to the indictment, the charges stem from allegations that Holmes and Balwani engaged in a multi-million dollar scheme to defraud investors and a separate scheme to defraud doctors and patients. In January 2022, Elizabeth Holmes became... Uh, this is from CNN Business. CNN, or Elizabeth Holmes became the rare Silicon Valley starter convicted of fraud stemming from her time as CEO or failed blood testing startup Theranos. She was convicted of fraud. I'm going to give her, I'm going to balance that out and I'm going to say she was halfway successful, six out of 10. She made a lot of money, but again, got famous. Yeah, you, you, she'll never not have the moments of like the most famous people in the world kissing her ass. You're right, fine. I'll, I'll say it's 50-50 because now she's in prison. But for a while there, it totally worked. So f- fair enough, I'll go, with the, I'll go with the six as well. That Because I mean, that makes sense. But she, it worked and then it didn't. And she's going to have to repay all that money unless she's already spent it. Who knows? Number two, how evil was she? I'm going to go with a hard... I'm going to say eight because like what she had people doing was disgusting, awful, dangerous behavior. She had an engineer who committed suicide, like a really gross stuff. That being said, it's not the same thing as some of these other people will get into where they did it on purpose. I think her intent really was to change the world. She just thought she could do it before she did it. And so like mostly evil, but not a hundred percent sociopath evil. I'm going to rank her a nine. I I think she, she knew exactly what she was doing. Her, her whole shtick was manipulating people. Yes. I mean, she had to know deep down and she knew she couldn't actually do what she was doing. I think that's, I mean, that's as close to pure evil as you can get. And she did not give a shit about what she left in her wake. No denied, denied, denied. And, uh, the fact that it was like, like the fake voice and all, like all this like stuff to clearly put on a front. That's evil. Nine, nine. Yep. Uh, number three, how smart was she? Uh, I gotta say ten, man. I yeah, mean, it's hard. It's hard to argue with that. It's either it's either nine or ten for me. Yeah, I mean, she. Like, we'll talk about this more when we get to the storytelling lying part of this. But she was playing chess. Like she saw moves and moves and moves ahead. She knew that they'd want to look at the book. She wouldn't let him. She knew how to tell stories. She lawyered up. She. I mean, she had a plan, and she was super convincing. And like she was a brilliant person. Ten. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say eight because. Mm-hmm. While she was brilliant, while she managed to hoodwink some of the most powerful people in the world, really, while she managed to get a huge amount of momentum for something that was based on nothing, at the end of the day, she kind of like lied to herself and tricked herself into thinking that there was substance there. If she was really smart, she would have listened to mentor advice early on and tried to change the world in a way that was actually real. But instead, she just decided to lie to herself and then everybody else about it. I'm going to say eight. So I've got a five, an eight, and a nine for smart. Five, eight, and nine. So what is that, 23? And you've got, I think you have a 23 also. I have a six, a nine, and an eight. Don't help me. 23, right? Very good. Yes. All right. It, it, folks, we're not even in season. It's not even uh, ITS season. We're next doing math on spreads. Math. Yeah, we just wait till gambling season. Number four, how lucky was she? This one's tough for me because it seems like a lot of her... Her stuff, she kind of did on her own. Like, Billy McFarland got lucky that no one was even remotely smart enough to call him on it. Elizabeth Holmes didn't. She had journalists sniffing around. She lied to him. The luck part of it was that she was rich and white. Like, she was born into a, a realm of privilege. You and I couldn't pull this off. We can't just call up a person who knows fucking the Secretary of State. She could. So I think that for that reason, I'm going to give her a five. It's, as far as the fraud goes, I don't think much of it was luck. I think she was just brilliant, manipulative, crazy person. So five. Yeah, I'm- I'm, I'm going to say four because uh, she got really unlucky that Georgia Schultz's nephew started yeah. sniffing around. It's yeah. really unfortunate that her master plan 
did not account for the nephew. Uh, and, and, you know, she was also lucky to be in a time when, like, lean-in feminism, like, it, it created the environment in which she was able to throw. It was like a Petri dish, man. She was able to just, like, do her thing and uh, get, uh, gatekeep gaslight girl boss. I think that motto is like 2021, but gatekeep you know. gaslight girl boss. That is, yeah. that's a good title for this uh, episode. Holy <laughs> shit, that's what we're gonna oh, call f- it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's we are. We are not the first Einsteins to come up with that <laughs> that motto for this. Uh, that's uh, great. So I'm I'm gonna say she was very lucky, but uh, at the end of the day, it was kind of luck that brought her down. Yep, I I agree. So I've got her. I've got her at a five. That's 28 for me. Lying 10. She's one of the best liars of all time. Yeah. Oh, Hard 10. 10. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Hard ten, so that that brings that lie, brings her. If you believe it, that's right. That brings her to me. I want to see if I can get this right. Thirty-eight out of fifty possible. That's pretty scary. That's a pretty scary individual. She's not a murderer or rapist, but if she wanted to be, she's could easily be a serial killer. She was that meticulous, that smart, like that. She thought that far out ahead, and um, just a a crazy story. And shouts to all the good reporting and all the people that figured it out. And thank God. No one got hurt from any of the blood and RIP to the man who literally took his own life because of what she was doing to their brains. Yeah. Uh, 37 for me, obviously a uh, terrible fraudster, bad person. The justice system is finally meeting out justice in this case. Yeah. Uh, she deserves every second of prison that she's getting. Yes. And, and it, uh, you know, that it, it, guys make sure the substance is there. If somebody ever tries to trick you into it, if somebody ever tries to get you to invest in a company, if you try like, if somebody's like, Hey, for just a thousand dollars a month for the next 12 months you can invest in serenity by jam (laughs) that's exactly right so we're talking about national treasure this episode reminds me an awful lot of the national treasure quote from the guy that played doug in hangover and he said it's not that it shouldn't be done it can't be done and of course they did steal the declaration of independence which can't be done this couldn't be done and she simply wouldn't hear that and no one's smart enough to know that it could or couldn't be done was ever given the platform to talk about it and she was just distanced herself from people that knew that chris un unbelievable story of americana i recommend literally everything you can get your hands on about this story here at the wall i'm gonna steal the declaration of independence <laughs>